Jesus is our great high priest, seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. Now, that doesn't mean there's two thrones. <laughs> no, it's a term of sovereign authority. There is one throne of the majesty. It means Jesus' equality with his Father, something he claimed in the gospel. The Father and I are one, Jesus claimed. So, so Jesus is not another prophet pointing to the way. Jesus says, I am the way. He's not another teacher pointing to the truth. He says, I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Mm. And, and, and then, oh, you missed that. You missed that in verse 2, didn't you? Because we were reading it too quickly here. A minister in the holy places, the true tent. Wow. Sit in that. He who is seated still serves. Jesus now represents us in the heavenly realm, ruling, serving, ministering in the true holy place. One of my professors in school put it this way. Jesus, our eternal priest, sits at the Father's right hand in ineffable glory. He is enthroned on emerald atop a crystal sea amongst the adoration of millions. He serves on our behalf. Think of it, friends. God serves us. God serves us. It's outrageous, but it's true, so believe it. Jesus' prayers and intercessions are put into your service and mine. There are no lapses. There are no disaffections. There's no uneven devotion. Just constant, loving intercession. Serving, 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 serving. This is our God. Um, I've been very encouraged by Paul Miller's book, The J-Curve. The J curve. And he illustrates Hebrews chapter 8 with what he calls the J curve. The J curve. Heaven, birth, death, resurrection, and exaltation. In other words, Christmas doesn't begin in Bethlehem, it began in heaven. Because Christmas is the true story of God the Son who left ultimate reality to chase away the shadowlands. The shadowlands, the, the people in darkness have seen a great light. And, and so the entire Old Testament is a journey to Jesus. That's why we read in verse 5 concerning the, the place of worship in the Old Covenant, the the tabernacle of Moses, and then the, the temple of Solomon, and then Herod's temple in Jesus' day. Verse 5 says that the Old Testament tabernacle was a model, a model of heaven's reality. A model. Um, the closest that has come to my mind to try to think about that would be like a flight simulator. A flight simulator. It's, it's a model of reality. And, and the Old Testament high priests serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. Uh, uh, 
the Hebrews preacher quotes Exodus 25, verse 40, when he talks about the tabernacle being a, a shadowy pattern of the reality, the substance, the tabernacle of Moses, the temple of Solomon, the Herod's temple. These were copies. These were shadows of heavenly realities. But heaven is the true tabernacle, and Christ is the true high priest. And this explains, this explains uh, uh, why there's no record in the Gospels of Jesus ever attempting to enter the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem in order to be in the presence of God. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, why didn't just Jesus go ahead and just march right into the Holy of Holies? It's because, because what was there in his day was just a model. And his priestly ministry was not for a simulator of the Holy of Holies. It was for the reality, the real Holy of Holies. And that's why his sacrifice had to be different from those of Old Testament priests who offered the blood of bulls and goats, which in themselves were, were, just, were just shadows of the reality. Jesus offered what no other priest could ever offer. He offered himself. And, and so this is why Christianity is not the sacrifice we make. Christianity is the sacrifice we trust. Shadows have been replaced by the reality. Uh, uh, I like how John Piper illustrated it. He wrote, Remember when you were a kid and your mom got separated in the grocery store and you started to panic? And you didn't know which way to go and you ran to the end of an aisle and just before you started to cry, you saw a shadow on the floor at the end of the aisle that looked just like mom. The shadow gave you relief. The shadow made you happy. Because of the shadow, you felt hope. But which is better? Which is better? The happiness of seeing the shadow or having mom step around the corner and it's really her that's the way it is when jesus comes to be our high priest because that's what christmas is christmas is the replacement of shadows with reality the invasion of divine reality man but there's there's something for us in that gift, you see. And that's where we get to Hebrews 7 through 13. So the first half of Hebrews talks about the invasion of divine reality. But in verses 7 through 13, it speaks about the, the invasion of divine reality for the purpose of divine enablement. In other words, Jesus came to do for us what we could not do Otherwise, he came, he came to establish a new covenant, a new covenant. In your Bibles, in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 12, in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 8 through 12, that's sectioned off in our Bibles because that's a quote from the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. So, so here the Hebrews preacher is quoting Jeremiah 31, 34. It's... Uh, for you trivia folks, it's the longest Old Testament quote in the New Testament. So there. 
And, and, And so the Old Testament prophet Jeremiah predicted a time when God's new covenant would commence. So already in the old covenant, there is a day of a new covenant dawning. And this new covenant would be a unifying covenant. Look, the scripture says, this is the covenant that I will make. This is the covenant that I will establish, verse 8, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Why the distinction? Well, don't you remember in in the history of uh, the Hebrew people that there was a split between the ten northern tribes of Israel and the two southern tribes, Judah. And in the new covenant, there would would be a, a union. There would be a uniting. God's new covenant would heal the fracture between Israel and Judah. Think about that. Think about that in our day. Who would ever be strong enough to unify partisanship then and now? Who could possibly do that? That's impossible. I could never do that. Who could po- These verses say, oh yeah. Who could, who could unify families and marriages and churches and citizens and people groups and ethnicities and governments and nations? Who could do that? God's new covenant. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. God's new covenant is spelled Jesus. And God's new covenant is one that God initiates. Do you notice in verses 8 through 12 that God's new covenant starts with I, I. I will establish with the house of Israel. I will establish with the house of Judah. So so God is our initiating God. He's the God of new beginnings. He doesn't give up on us. He does what is needed to enable us to, to offer divine enablement so that we can live like Christ. I will put my laws into their minds, verse 10. I will write them on their hearts. Think about it. Think about it. I will write my laws on their hearts. So if you are in Christ, Jesus has tattooed his word on your heart. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God. I will be merciful toward their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. Christ inks his word on our hearts and we become able. Abel, oh, it starts in the heart, doesn't it? Always starts in the heart. See, I'm going to write them on their hearts. When the Bible talks about the heart, the Bible talks about the, the central operating system of your soul, the, the command center of you. So your heart is why you do what you do. Your heart is why you say what you say. Your heart is why you act the way you act. So, because your heart, your heart is a love pump. And it's always pumping toward the object of the heart's love. And, and your desires flow 
from your heart. This is, this is why change is not an outside-in process. It's an inside-out. Years ago, a preacher by the name of Charles Spurgeon wrote, the work of the covenant of grace is not to wash the outside, not to cleanse the outside, not to pass you through rites and ceremonies, but to wash the inside, to purge the heart, to renew the soul. And this is the only salvation that will ever bring us into heaven. The new covenant can only be obtained as a gift through Jesus. It is the result of faith in him who died upon the tree. So we trust in him. He gives us a new heart. He gives us a new heart. Write down, if you would, write down Ezekiel 36. So Ezekiel 36 complements or is parallel to Jeremiah 31. Ezekiel 36 26 to 29 says, God speaking, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will receive the eye. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God and I will deliver you from all your uncleanliness. Think about that, man. A world with scripture-inscribed hearts. A world where people together, 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 Willingly love and selflessly serve and abundantly share. A world of spirit-empowered saints who display the spirit-inspired word. A world absent sin because we just don't find it that interesting anymore. I'm telling you, the greatest gift of Christmas is the gift of divine enablement. Christ provided divinely empowered spirit fueled desire. And verse 10, I love verse 10. Oh, take this with you, church. Verse 10 says, And I will be their God, and they will be my people. Hmm. Notice the community language there, right? Their God, they will be my people. That's community language. So Hebrews 8 is anti individualism. God says, this congregation, this congregation, I am theirs. This congregation, they are mine. Man, man. So, so the significance is this. In the new covenant, in the new covenant, we don't, we don't see God as an unapproachable judge. He's a loving father. That's why we start the Lord's Prayer with our Father who art in heaven, you see. We, we cry, Abba, Father, dear Father, dear. So, and our relationship with our Heavenly Father is more real than, well, than my son's very real relationship with me, their dad. <laughs> They're my sons. I'm their father. And my grandchildren, they're, they're my grandchildren. I'm theirs, always, always. 
always, even when my little three-year-old grandson drops a washer down the sink. <laughs> and I, 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 nearly, I nearly lost my ordination vows trying to fish that thing <laughs> out of the drain last night. Last night. But he's my grandson. He's my grandson. I love him. I love him. They don't have to knock before entering my office. They just, they just barge right in. Why? Because I am theirs and they're mine. That's why. That's why. They're family. They're, we're family. Listen to me. That needs to be a reality that we display to one another and to the world. That, that, that's verse 12. You know, I will be merciful toward their iniquities. I will remember their sins no more. And based on that beautiful grace environment, each one, his brother, his neighbor, they're my people. They shall all know me. They shall all know me. Verse 11 says, from the least of them to the greatest. So whenever we meet and worship with other family members in Christ from every tongue and tribe and nation, we rejoice because we know the Father just as they know the Father. And if we have the same Father, well, we're siblings. See, the new covenant does that. And that new covenant then is, is our identity, our primary identity. And that primary identity becomes the bedrock of our emotional stability. Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I'm thinking of the person who may be sitting here thinking, I hear you, Pastor. I hear you. I hear what you're saying about all of the, the divine enablement and the blessings, et cetera, et cetera. But, but what you need to know is this. I do read the Bible daily, and I pray, and I think about Christ, and I go to church, but I'm not experiencing His presence and peace. I'm, I'm ill this Christmas. I'm about to lose my job this Christmas. I'm mourning this Christmas. I'm depressed this Christmas. God seems silent. Why don't his promises touch me in the places I really need them to? Anybody here like that? Anybody here ever felt a disconnect between your faith and your life experience? I won't pretend that there are quick fixes, but here's what I will offer. I will offer you assurance because Hebrews 11 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the substance of things not seen. That, so the disconnect you feel is because you are walking by faith, not by sight. There will always be, there will, there will always be a level of disconnect while we walk by faith. Faith counts God's reality as weightier than my experience. I, I offer sympathy. I do. I offer sympathy. This is hard. This is hard. This season is hard. This is a sinful, broken, fallen world. This is hard, and God is good. God is good. Mm. For, for here we seek no lasting city. This Hebrews 13, we just live on Hebrews, folks. For here we seek no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. For here we seek no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. I, 
So, so, so I offer assurance, I offer sympathy, I offer encouragement, I offer encouragement. I do want to say, I want to say this. There's something affirming and right about, uh, about wanting our faith and, and life to align. And, and God promises peace and joy. I want to feel his promises of peace and joy. This is a good thing. It's, evident, it's evidence of a fight, of fighting the good fight. It's evidence of a living faith, so keep believing. Keep believing. Keep coming back. Keep praying. Keep reading your Bible. Keep depending on your brothers and sisters in Christ. I offer assurance, sympathy, encouragement, and I offer an opportunity to practice hope. Paul David Tripp said that hope is the confident expectation of a guaranteed result that changes the way I live. And God gave us promises so that we can hope for their fulfillment. And he has poured his love for us through the Holy Spirit. He's given us a deposit, a deposit. So we have a deposit of the future fulfillment. And so, so, so hope is not a wish list. Hope is an active life of faith grounded on bedrock the bedrock of God's new covenant. I will be their God and they will be my people. Listen to me, listen to me. 1 John chapter 3, verse 20 says this, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Your heart doesn't know everything. Your heart does not know everything. God knows everything and God gets to decide how he feels about you, not your heart. Because God is sovereign. And your feelings might not agree, but your feelings don't get the final word. God's word gets the final word. Amen? Mm. And one day, we will fully experience the reality. Until then, we learn the skill of waiting. And so Advent lets us practice patience until we see Christ face to face. Hmm. Well, that's the rest of my life, not just four Sundays, Pastor. Well, all of our life is Advent. All of it. Hmm. So in 1967, Johnny Erickson Tata had a diving accident, left her as a 17-year-old. She was a quadriplegic. She's been a quadriplegic since 1967. And in one of her recent interviews, she was asked what she longs for most in the heavenly realm. And here's what she said. She said, you know, when you look at me in this wheelchair, paralyzed for over 50 years, most people would think, oh, you're looking forward to your new body. And she said, yeah, that's going to be a fringe benefit that I can't wait she said, but I'll tell you what I'm really looking forward to. A new heart. A, heart. a heart free of manipulating others with precisely timed phrases. A heart free of fudging the truth. A heart free from hogging the spotlight. A heart free from believing my own press releases. A heart free of not believing the best of others. A heart free of caving into fear about the future. I can't wait to have a heart free of sin and the gift of Christmas is that on the cross Christ's heart was pierced so that ours could be new 
the old stony heart was transplanted by God, a heart of stone was replaced by, by pink, supple, fleshy heart of life, a heart inscribed with his word. These words, these words, he is our God and we are his people. Oh, believe that, believe that. Christmas isn't the sacrifice we make. It's the sacrifice we trust. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things are new. Amen.